Welcome to Refocus Together. My name is Giovanna Mannix, and I'm a mother, a wife, and I live in Washington, and I am 47 years old. (laughs) I'm your host, Lindsay Gensel, and this is a special ADHD Awareness Month series of my podcast, Refocused with Lindsay Gensel. If you're a regular listener, you know that the Refocus podcast is where we change the narrative around ADHD and share the tips and tools we need to refocus and live our best lives. If you're new here and found us because it's ADHD Awareness Month, welcome. We are so glad you're here and I truly hope you'll stick around long after October ends. Now, there are parts of this ADHD journey that some of us have figured out. And there are parts that we still need help cracking. And so for ADHD Awareness Month, I'm collaborating, as always, with my partner, ADHD Online, to interview 31 people. That's one interview for every day of the month about their own ADHD experience. We'll hear from people who were diagnosed as kids and those diagnosed well into adulthood. We'll talk about hyperfocus and distraction, stigma and shame, grief and acceptance, and so much more. And we'll see that ADHD can affect anyone, all genders, orientations, backgrounds, nationalities, and cultures. And while there are differences in how we live this truth, There are also so many similarities that bring us together in community. The special project is very near and dear to my heart. And although talking to 31 different people has been a lot of talking, I'm so grateful for each person who shared their story. And I'm truly forever changed by these conversations. And I cannot wait for you to meet my guests and get to know them. Be sure to subscribe to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel so that you don't miss a single story this month. Don't let Giovanna's soothing voice fool you. She is full of fire. One of those passionate, determined humans who has truly been empowered by her ADHD diagnosis. Throughout her life, Giovanna struggled to concentrate when reading, starting assignments and projects, and then finishing said assignments and projects. She long had struggles in her professional life, and it was difficult for her to stay in a position or with a company once the day-to-day became boring or repetitive. Fear of failure and wanting to be successful kept her from getting help until someone else suggested it to her. And at the age of 45, she found out she had inattentive ADHD. Not only has this diagnosis bolstered her own well-being, but it's also helped her in her work as a human resources consultant focused on employee relations. It's allowed her to provide insight to hospital leadership on better supporting employees having difficulties in their work. So not only has her ADHD diagnosis led Giovanna to be a better advocate for herself, but it's also made her a more confident advocate for those around her. I know you're going to enjoy my conversation with Giovanna Mannix. (music) 
I would like to start at the beginning because you and I share something in common. We went through a very good portion of our lives without knowing ADHD was something that we were living with. And I know hindsight is a fun little game to play when we are looking back at everything. But I want to start with your diagnosis because you have an interesting segue into it. Essentially, one of your professors pointed out that this was something that you should look into. You should have a conversation with someone about ADHD. Yes. So I, it was during residency, my first residency, and I had flown into Phoenix um, with the university and I was sitting down and I kept fidgeting and going through my notes and then he would start talking and then I would drift off, come back and ask a question, but it would be a question that he may have asked or, um, you know, a discussion he had five minutes prior to. And um, he kept looking at me and he kept eyeing me and I said, I don't think this guy really likes me at all. (laughs) So later on down, um, we had a one-on-one and we were talking and he kept looking at me and then I started thinking, he's not paying attention to me at all. And he said, you know, he told me he had ADHD and he found out in college during his uh, dissertation process because he lost his dissertation and to type it all over. And he said, I'm, I'm not diagnosing you, but it might be a good idea to go get a diagnosis and talk to someone because you have some of the signs of ADHD. And I said, me? No way. He said, trust me, you need a diagnosis. So I went home and got online and looked it up. <laughs> and started that process. How yeah. many people are in the room as you? You and this professor, he's speaking and you're going about what you feel like is a completely normal routine and are unaware that it's something that someone would notice. And again, he has ADHD. So he's looking at you going like, oh, I know those signs. And I have that too, where I'll be out and I'm just like, oh, that's ADHD, whether you know it or not. But how many people are around you as this is happening? There in this class, um, a residency class had about 40 people in there. Okay. So a decent amount. It wasn't a one-on-one by any means, but oh my goodness, how like the stars aligning for you to be in that room and for that professor to not only see it, but for him to be comfortable saying it to you. Because I imagine like, I hope he was very confident going into it, but it could have been taken the wrong way. It could have been. It could have been disastrous. (laughs) Well, kudos to him. I love when you hear about someone else stepping in and being kind of the catalyst because Mm -hmm. you go back, we don't know what we don't know. You know, it's like you just going through this. Yeah. (laughs) And it's normal life for me. (laughs) Yeah. So you go home and you start looking into things. And I know that you went down the path of trying to figure out what was in your network for insurance, which Mm -hmm. is what most of us do, especially with healthcare in this country. Mm -hmm. And what roadblocks were you finding? The roadblocks that I found, um, I did find a provider. My own provider said, no way. You don't have ADHD. You're just not focused. I can count on my hand how many adult women are diagnosed with ADHD. What he called me is (laughs) middle-aged. That was his first mistake. (laughs) 
So I said, okay, whatever. So I looked at my insurance, start Googling ADHD, how do you get diagnosed? And then voila, I found ADHD online and I said, okay, will my insurance pay for it? And it was like a hassle going through trying to figure that out. So I said, I'll just pay up front because I found out that your insurance can be reimbursed. So that's how I did it and just paid up front. And what was the assessment like for you? Because you had been told to look into this. And so there was, I don't want to say excitement, but interest. You know, you were going through the process Mm -hmm. you were putting in the work. You wanted to see if this was something that you were actually dealing with. And then you sit down and there's a lot of questions and it's very in-depth and it's very personal. And I think sometimes for people with ADHD, there's so much shame attached to it because we know our shortcomings. And I use that in quotes because it's just Mm -hmm. stuff we haven't learned. You know, it's like just hasn't Mm -hmm. been there. So you sit down with this assessment and what were those feelings like? Um, at first, I, the first thought in my mind was I am wasting money right now because there's no way I've gone through 40 plus years and not diagnosed. So, but I'll do it anyway. And the emotions that I felt were get real. You do not have ADHD. Why are you wasting money? And then when I started the process, I was like, geez, this test has taken a long time. I would get up, walk away, and I was like, maybe I do have it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it it was kind of like, you know, sometimes you think I'm making things bigger than what they really are, and this is not me. That's what I was feeling the whole time, and this can't be real. Why am I doing this that whole time? Mm-hmm. Yes. The self-doubt. I also think we are just designed to compare our problems to other mm-hmm. people's problems. And it's a very dangerous game because as you and I can both share, I'm sure, getting that diagnosis, just even yeah. knowing about it was yeah. so monumental. Like you take even just like the mm-hmm. treatment and all of the workarounds you start to learn, like getting that answer, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, Huh. <laughs> yeah, very true. When I showed my doctor, my primary care physician, the one who said no, um, when I showed him the assessment, he said, well, I'll be darned. You do have it. Maybe I have it too. And I said, maybe you ought to go get an assessment. But he started the whole conversation. He was just really amazed that I was able to go get the assessment. And then we started discussing medications. And, you know, he I kind of feel like in the beginning, he kind of had a little doubt himself um, because he said, well, if I give you this medication, it's supposed to bring you down. But if it doesn't, then you don't have it. And I said, well, I'm going to put it to you this way. I'm going to school to get my doctorate. And if I have it, I have it and let's address it because I want to graduate. I don't want to be in this same thing where I think I have it, but I can't move forward in this dissertation. So He prescribed it and then it was like, sky's the limit from there. So let's talk about that because you are in the middle of all of this in graduate school. And how were things going before the diagnosis? You know, it's very, I look back, I went and looked at my grades prior to the diagnosis and I looked at some of my schoolwork 
and I thought things were going great. Um, I thought I was just getting by, no issues. However, when I looked at my grades compared to um, after the diagnosis, I was a B minus student all the way up until my diagnosis. After my diagnosis, all my grades were A's afterwards. So I had the potential to be an A student um, prior to my diagnosis, and I, I would have not have known that. But I noticed there were mistakes in my papers where I would switch words around or I would forget to put to or the. And it was like mistakes that I would make that I wouldn't normally make. And that led so, to another diagnosis for you. Can you tell me a little yes. bit about that? So um, that diagnosis actually came last year. And I was talking to, in the process, I want to mention, I did get. I got a job offer, so I relocated from Michigan to Washington. So once I moved to Washington, I found a provider, and she's wonderful. And we were talking, and I kept saying, you know, when I talk and when I speak, I feel like I'm talking backwards. And I said, it's kind of almost like I have Yoda syndrome. And she burst out laughing. She said, my son has Yoda syndrome. I said, it's a real thing. She said, it's called dysgraphia. She said, you have a problem with translation. She said, it's almost like you're trying to catch your words. But when you're talking, transcription is a problem. Or not talking, but um, writing transcription is a problem. You're either um, talking with your sentences or typing with your sentences backwards. And you end with the beginning. And that's when it was like this big light came on for me like okay i haven't been like what i would have thought of myself as illiterate or not smart enough my whole life i was actually i'm smart enough i just smart in a different way but she diagnosed me with this dysgraphia and again not to go back but it's like all of the things that had to happen for you to get that diagnosis and to find that provider and to know what yes. you were looking for in a provider. Yeah. It's always so eye-opening mm -hmm. when we start to kind of take stock of mm -hmm. the advocacy we do for ourselves and like what comes from it. Mm -hmm. yes. So I'm curious, you make this move and you find a provider that you are very excited to work with. And I'm so happy that you have that great connection because I know what that is like and it makes the world of difference. Mm -hmm. I know that you've been working on kind of a holistic approach. And I think one thing that mm -hmm. sometimes people with ADHD maybe lose sight of is like medication will help, but that's like evening the playing field. It's not mm -hmm. going to solve all your problems. So you start on this exactly. treatment plan and, and what has that been like for you? So the treatment plan, it there has been a lot of tests and trials, um, trying to figure out what works for me, because what works for me may not work for the next person, or what works for one person may not work for me. So just figuring out that that perfect spot, and then realizing that that perfect spot is not a long-term fix for me, because for some reason, things work for this amount of time, and then I have to readjust and find something else. So just figuring out, okay, I know that I need a reminder every day to take food out their fridge. I don't always need, I don't take my medication every day because the medication 
does not, it's not a fix. It's a help. So I put reminders all throughout my home. I have reminders in my phone, on my calendars. I even tell my like Google and Alexa, and I have to say that very quietly because for some reason they hear me and start waking up. I have to put reminders in there to remind myself. So um, my focus is through the helps that I create in my environment. So that's calendars, timers, even the TV will turn off when it's bedtime. That's actually genius. <laughs> it's very smart. And when it comes to like homework and things like that, or not homework, but um, like reading articles for my dissertation, there are days where even if I take medication, I can't focus and it's just not the day. So what I will do is with PDF, it'll read the article to you. And as I'm listening, if I hear something that catches me, I'll go back and highlight it. So I, I figure out ways to for for myself to adapt and readapt and be successful. I have added the listening aspect to it as well because doing mm -hmm. research for me. And I think back on how big of a struggle college was for me. And it was like, oh, if that had been a thing, you know, like it, it wasn't quite there yet. But I think of all the things I learned from listening to things, whereas reading is such yeah. a struggle because it is, you have to focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so amazing that you have been able to add these workarounds in. And obviously, you had so much success prior to your diagnosis. But I'm wondering if we can go back to that, like, pre-time, the time before you knew what was going on. Where were you mm -hmm. struggling? What do you look back on and go... That was really a lot of coping mechanisms kind of coming together. Mm -hmm. I, I would say I struggled in every area of my life, whether it was work, um, my marriage, raising children, keeping up my home, even driving. And those are all the areas that I struggled with when it either came to keeping up with appointments or projects at work. Um, I struggled with maintaining or keeping a focus at work. And I had a job where I was the director of a department and I had to do reports and the reports would be late often. And it, you know, that reflected in my performance. And for some reason, I just could not get those reports out in time because they were so daunting, so daunting. And that was area an area at in my performance where it, it it was perceived as if I was lazy or you know not focused or I didn't take my position seriously, which was totally not true. I loved my job. It's I can totally relate the daunting fear, and then you can't talk about it because it is so daunting, and it's also there's kind of this embarrassment mm -hmm. that comes with it. And then everyone around you who would mm -hmm. not struggle in that position looks at it as like, you're right, she's not taking this seriously or she's not, you know, mm -hmm. realizing the importance of this. And the meanwhile, it's just like this yeah. big churning, you know, disaster in the middle. <laughs> but I think so many people can relate to that idea of things being just so daunting. So you're in this role. Things are overwhelming. Does anything else stand out from that time as um, something you look back and you're like, that is definitely connected to my ADHD? Um, I would say the, the work 
And it was always a struggle for me. And thank God that I have a husband. But with the children, I just could not sit down and say, we're going to go from A to Z and we're going to have a discussion and I need for you to pay attention. I couldn't pay attention. I need for you to pay attention and I need for you to get this right because it's important. And I could not do that with the children. So for some reason, my husband could do that. He could sit down and go from A to Z and explain everything. And then sometimes I'm like, I just can't do that. I just There's no way I can sit down for a half an hour and just talk to them. Um, but he could. And my oldest daughter thought that, you know, she did not know that I also had ADHD. So she thought that mom just doesn't want to be bothered or mom. She even came one day and she said, mom, do you not like me? And I said, why would you say that? And she said, because you never sit down and talk <sighs> to me like that. And I said, I love you more than he does. I gave birth to you. <laughs> and so I had to explain to her, I said, sometimes my mind gets like fuzzy and it's hard for me to sit down and have discussions And I said, sometimes we have to like get out the house and talk. And so she finally got it. Um, She also laughed when we found out my diagnosis. And she goes, that explains the world to me. And she was like, now I get mom. (laughs) But with my children, it was it was a task, even with my son who has ADHD also. So it was a task. And I'm curious, the diagnosis for your son was that something that stemmed from your own diagnosis or was he diagnosed prior? He was diagnosed um, back in 2005. Okay. Yeah. And I fought for his diagnosis. Did not know I had one myself, but I fought the school system and to get to get him to a point where he could be successful and have a a plan in school, the IEP. That's incredible. And it's kind of like it was the the setup for your own journey, your own, yeah. you know, advocacy mm-hmm. for yourself. That's amazing. Yeah. So I would like to know, post diagnosis, mm-hmm. where you are thriving. Where I am thriving. I wanna say since my diagnosis, I have a new lease on life. So I am I feel like I am thriving everywhere. Um there was a small point in time where I cried because I had a diagnosis, didn't know I had a diagnosis, couldn't understand how I didn't recognize it, no one else recognized it. And I was like kind of sad because there were there was so much potential for me early on. So finally, I do have a therapist and she said, don't worry about the past, focus on the future and the here and now because you can't change the past. That was a light for me. So I am thriving in area er, every area of my life, and I am living with no apologies to anyone. And I let them know that, you know, this is me, this is who I am, and this is what makes me me. And so at home, I thrive. Um, with my husband, we laugh. And sometimes I say, that could be the ADHD, or it could be you. <laughs> So sometimes I'll say we won't discuss because if it ends up being you, then, you know, Um, but I am thriving at work. I have a, um, I stepped up and said, you know, I need an accommodation. I have ADHD and I have dysgraphia. I need an accommodation to be successful. 
Um, so I'm thriving on the job. I am thriving in my home. I've learned new skills um, when it comes to how do I get myself refocused. I've picked up hobbies to, um, I want to say, put myself in a, a mind frame where I can focus and be happy. And I've accepted myself. I accepted my diagnosis. And I know that I am not perfect, but I am I am who I am. And the things that I do, they look perfect to me. <laughs> so I would say I'm thriving in every area of my life now. I wish I could hug you through the screen because it is just such a lovely thing mm -hmm. to hear. And your confidence and your positivity and kind of your no-nonsense. It is very refreshing. And I think it's so hard for us to get out of our own way and accept who we are and accept that we didn't ask for this. This is just how we were made and we're doing the best we can. And I kind of sometimes think of like all the things that people really love about me and then all the things that they really don't like about me that really bother them and it's like you you don't get to know <laughs> all of me the whole package <laughs> yes so what has led to that new lease I know you get this diagnosis and I know you feel like everything is possible and I feel that and I feel like sometimes I have a hard time putting it into words so yeah how did you get to this point to be honest, I got to this point, you know, when I got my diagnosis in 20, was it 2020? Yeah, 2020, the end of 2020, COVID happened. So during lockdown, I focused on me. I read more about ADHD. I picked up hobbies and I read a lot about, um, you know, not self-help, but what is ADHD? What does ADHD look like in children? What does it look like in women? And learning that a lot of women are being diagnosed late in life um, is, I don't want to say refreshing, but it, it makes sense. They're being diagnosed late in life. And why are we being diagnosed late in life? Um, so I, I read a lot about that and it helped me accept me. and teach others to accept me when they didn't understand. So those hobbies I picked up were cooking, <laughs> painting. I taught myself to paint, um, cooking, painting, and refurbishing furniture. Okay. Those are all ADHD skills. I. It's probably a good thing we don't live close to one another because... I, I, I haven't taken up painting yet. It, it could very well be down the pipeline because I... I joke I'm a collector of hobbies. I love hobbies, but I love refinishing furniture. And there's just something about, I don't even know what the process is, but maybe it's something with the ADHD brain of like giving something new life that we are just so enthralled by. Yes. Yes. My husband will come home sometimes and say, uh oh, what new project's going on now? I had a similar situation, but it was trading in my car and my boyfriend being very happy that I would not have room to pick up furniture on the side of the road any longer. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on one thing in, one thing out. It's kind of my my workaround. That's that's hard. It is very hard <laughs> because the, the, the beginning is the best part. 
Well, mm-hmm. the beginning and the end. And then yes. the middle ground is where we need to work on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about work because I think there are a lot of people who would love to be in the situation that you were in, where you mm-hmm. felt confident going to the people who make decisions at work and saying, this is what's going on in my life. This is what I need from you in order to be better at my job, to be the best in this role. And there's fear of doing it. One, because the vulnerability that comes with putting something out there so personal into the workplace. I think we've just kind of been told that, nope, what happens at home or what's happening in life doesn't come into work. And that's Mm -hmm. obviously not the case. But then there's a side of people worrying about a poor reaction. And so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how you worked up to the decision to go to work and then what the response was like. Okay. So in the beginning, um, it, with this new job, um, my new boss, she said I was awkward. Um, never talked to me, never met with me. It was three months before she actually met with me. And she made the comment um, that I came across as if I didn't know what I was doing and I lacked a sense of urgency. And I said, okay, my previous job, I could just say I have ADHD and didn't need an accommodation because everyone got me. But here it was a little different. So I went and I I went to um, a different you know, leader. And I said, I need an accommodation of ADHD and dysgraphia. And these comments that are made about me are not true. And, you know, they, they, they're disheartening. And if you got to know me, you know, that's totally not me. Sometimes you would probably say, slow your roll, sit down. (laughs) So I went to my uh, provider. She wrote up this beautiful thing of all the accommodations I may need. And, you know, how to have conversations with me, which was wonderful. And I started the process, but in the in the the meantime, I had been assigned a new manager, which was a godsend. So this new manager was like, we're going to change any perceptions that was made about you. I am very happy that you're asking for accommodation because most people would be afraid to do this. And I said, well, actually I was. You know, but I said, after their caution to the wind, because this is my livelihood and I can't be successful being afraid anymore. So she said, don't worry about it. We'll start the process. And what do you need that I can do now? And so I said, I need program to dictate my notes. I need extra time in the morning or the afternoon to do my reports. And if I'm going to do interviews throughout the day, I need them to be in the morning, but not after 1.30, because after 1.30, you've lost me. So she said, you're in charge of your own schedule. Send in an order of whatever you need, and we'll order it and get you set up. And it was, like, amazing. Like, she was extremely supportive in everything that I thought I needed and things that was like, you know, they probably won't get this for me because it's super expensive. They still did it. And they said, we just want you to be successful. And that just opened up everything. And I said, wow, if this job really values me like this with the things that I bring to the table, not just my skills and my knowledge, but ADHD also, you know, I must stay here for the long run and make the most of this because this is wonderful. 
it's acceptance at the end of the day. That is really awesome to hear. And I hope that people listening to this take your story and use it as inspiration. I think sometimes it's really scary to put something out there, but I've learned that when we allow people to show up for us and to show us Mm -hmm. grace and to show us acceptance Mm -hmm. and to support us, Mm -hmm. it's so much better to carry the load Mm -hmm. together than it is to do it on your own. But I think we're so set up to just assume that the answer is going Mm -hmm. to be what we don't want to hear. Right. And because that does happen. I mean, there's a reason Mm -hmm. why we are that way. (laughs) Yeah, it does happen. Case in point, it does happen. But there's always someone else out there who's either familiar with what's going on with you or they have a heart and they want to see you succeed also. So let's talk about the future. Mm -hmm. You're very optimistic. You are very excited. I think I am so excited to see what comes next for you because it just Mm -hmm. feels like the sky's the limit with where you are. So when you look forward, you have this new opportunity at work to make yourself even better at your job. You have developed relationships in a different way with your husband and your children. You have hobbies. What else is kind of on the horizon that you just go, yes, this is where I'm meant to be. This is what I'm meant to be doing. I'm glad you asked that question. Um, With this dissertation that I'm still writing, Um, my dissertation is focused on women, um, work, family, conflict, stress, and coping. I really wanted to focus on women with, you know, ADHD, but I knew that I was not at a place where I could do that and separate my feelings. So I said, I won't go there. But when I finished this dissertation and I get the letters behind my name, I want to use that as a professor at some, in academia, at some university, um, because I was helped in the beginning and it was recognized in me that I had ADHD. Can't imagine how many other people out there who are wanting to pursue their dreams, but feel like they can't because they either don't know they have ADHD or they know they have ADHD and feel they'll fail. So I want to be that supporter in that academic arena. And then also I want to continue to stay where I am in my current position. I'm not looking for management positions or anything, but I want to be able to help others who I recognize have either dysgraphia or um, dyslexia or ADHD and help them be successful also. Um, right now, there are there are doctors and there's employees and sanitation and the cafeteria at the hospitals who are living with ADHD, dyslexia, and dysgraphia and don't know it and are suffering. And, and it's showing in their attendance at work, they're tardy or they're not showing up. Or it's showing whenever their boss is giving them instructions and they're talking to them and the person comes back and they haven't done everything or they haven't done it correctly. And it's 
and someone needs to recognize that what we're doing is not helping them. It's not setting them up for success and it's actually pushing them away and they're not successful. And I can't imagine how many doctors out there that have left their, they've switched their specialty or they've changed jobs or they have not been the best that they could be because they have ADHD. And it's amazing that some doctors don't recognize they have ADHD. And I've recognized it in a few. And, you know, I didn't say, well, you need to go get an ADHD diagnosis. Sometimes I would say, I would tell my story just as a, you know, this is what happened to me and let them decide to go do that. And like with the other, um, the other employees who say, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm hearing, I'm hearing, but for some reason, I'm just not getting it. It's like I'm taught someone's talking at me. They're not talking to me or with me. So there are times where I can take the manager and say, have a discussion with the person or, you know, ask the person, do you understand or do you need help? And let them come back, leave that door open for them to come back and say, I heard you say this. Do I also need to do this? You know, give them that room to be comfortable to come back and say, I heard you, but I didn't get it because they're not stupid. They just, it didn't register or it flew out the door somewhere. <laughs> so, Well, it's true though. And I think we look back at all of our education. Mm -hmm. There was one way to learn everything. And yeah. I think we know very clearly now that that does not work for everyone. And there just were not the resources or the acknowledgement that there were going to be people in each class who learned differently. Mm -hmm. And so this like one size fits all education plan. And I love what you said about going to the managers and just saying, hey, you might want to approach it this way, or mm -hmm. you might want to ask like, what works for them? I have found it so helpful when someone I'm working with who is in a management leadership role, who's mm -hmm. overseeing something I'm working on, asks me how I want to be communicated with or what I need. You know, mm -hmm. even when hiring like a virtual assistant, the first day, Sarah, who's done a crazy amount of amazing work <laughs> on this project, she was like, how is the best way to communicate with you? Or how would you like me to reach mm -hmm. out to you? Or what do you need in order to be successful? And I was like, I don't know that I've ever thought about that. <laughs> but we're all different, mm -hmm. you know? What works for some people yeah. isn't going to work for everyone. But until we say it out loud, nothing's going to change. Right. Exactly. That is a, a very good um, point that I even use at home. And I use, I have grandchildren, I have a grandson with ADHD also. And I have to remind my son, what worked for you may not work for him. And what did not work for you may work for him. And I said, you have to remember who you are, who he is, and communicate. And I also remind my children, you're the manager of your child. You manage a child. So think, how would you want your manager to communicate with you? And for my son, it clicked. And his son is like, you know, it's like they have a great relationship. Same way with home, same way with work. And the biggest thing about it is it, it takes takes a village, of course, <laughs> but communication is key in everything. And communication, and it's funny that I'm saying this, communication and being open 
with the person you're communicating with, it it makes them feel like they have a space where they can be themselves. Because if, let's say, I have this relationship with a person I'm working with and I never talk to them and I just bark orders at them, they that that relationship it will never it will never form or it it will quickly deteriorate and I will lose an employee. But if I keep communication open and I continue to say, what support do you need from me? Is there anything that you need help with? Or is there anything that you don't understand? Continue to communicate and have those conversations back and forth with the employees. Even employees without ADHD, I think, would be successful without uh, with that. Because we are people that we talk. And, you know, it's, I just... I can't place a value on open and transparent communication that it's invaluable. We have to constantly do that with everyone. Everyone. I want to wrap this up by asking you, when you think about ADHD, and I'm sure these are actually some of the messages you've shared, what are the things that stand out to you that you wish, I'm going to say like the general population, knew or understood about ADHD. And this kind of goes to breaking down the old stereotypes. And, you know, you mentioned your doctor, you're, you're a middle-aged, how dare he, a middle-aged woman, there's no way you have ADHD. And obviously we very much know that that is not the case. And so I just see these outdated old stereotypes. When you think of what you've learned about yourself and your ADHD, what is that like one you're just working to break down? Um, not everyone with ADHD is hyper. Not everyone with ADHD is, um, is uneducated. And one, one thing that I, I wish if I could change the world with this stereotype that it's a learning disability. When we hear the word learning disability, we think you're disabled or we hear ourselves being not good enough or not capable of doing things. And it's more of an ability. And to set a person with ADHD aside and say that we cannot be successful or we can't do certain things, it, it breaks us down. It tears us apart. And it puts a label on us because if we look at it, if you have a student who's not good in one subject, but great in others, we don't say you have a disability. You say, we say we, you have abilities in other areas. We do too. And it may be multiple areas, just not the areas you, <laughs> you may want us to have. But we have to get rid of that. We are very unique. We, we are very educated. We, are, we thrive wherever we go and we make things work. We figure things out. Um, even in our quiet times, we're focused on how do we make things better. And it's not about, um, it's not, and I hate to always say ADHD, but to understand where we come from, we have to always, like sometimes we worry about what do others think of us? What do you see in me? Or do you recognize ADHD in me? And the stereotype that I want to break down is that we are human beings 
like everybody else. We love, we deal with emotions like everyone else. We deal with failures. We deal with successes. We can be successful people, doctors, attorneys, lawyers, and we have great potential, great potential. We just need somebody to recognize that in us. We recognize it in ourselves, but if we don't have a support system, it's setting us up for failure all the way around. That's a great way to end it. I, I just, everything you said, I'm like, yes, all of those things. And I, <laughs> I mean, there's so many ways to go back and look at, you know, where this idea of needing extra help in life or needing to learn mm-hmm. a different way means that mm-hmm. you're not smart. And I, you know, I think back to elementary school and and the kids who got extra help and there was such a stigma around it. And I think of myself and what I was hiding and how I could have benefited from that. And you're right. We just need to change the narrative in so many different ways. And I'm just so grateful for you for being so open and honest and sharing some stuff that I'm sure has been very hard to come to terms with, especially. Uh, mm-hmm. outside of your job, but, you know, with your, your husband and your children and, and the things mm-hmm. that you realize now, and you get to take that into the future. And I just thank you so much for joining us on Refocus with Lindsay Gensel. It truly, it truly was a gift. I can't wait to see some of these furniture projects that you have going. <laughs> your husband's going to be like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> and the tables, the dining room tables. Okay. Next. <laughs> okay. That's very funny. I've been on the, I've been eyeing up some dining room tables, but I, Luckily, have been telling myself you have a little much on your plate right now. Give it time. But again, the things you learn three years yes, ago, yes. I would have had a new table in here yeah. and we'd be refinishing it right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, Javana Mannix, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much and um, continued success to you. And I can't wait to see what, what's down the path. Thank you. A big thank you to Javonna Mannix for sharing her story with us on Refocus Together, one of the 31 stories we're sharing throughout the month of October for ADHD Awareness Month. The thanks continue in a big way to the entire ADHD Online team, Zach Booker, Dr. Randall Dutler, Tim Gutwald, Keith Brophy, my teammates, Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruitt, Claudia Gotti, Melanie Mile, Paul Owen, Kirsten Pip, Sissy Yee, Trisha Merchandunny, Lauren Radley, Corey Kearney and Mason Nelly and the team at Dexia, Cameron Sterling and Candice Lefke. Camilla Eden, Lauren Terry, Sarah Gelbard, Phil Rodeman, and Sarah Platinitis. Our theme music was created by Louis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based in Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. To find out more about Refocus Together or to share your story with me, head over to ADHDonline.com and check out the ADHD Awareness Month page, which highlights this project as well as each day's episode after they've been released. You can also find out more by following along on social at Lindsay Gensel and at RefocusPod.